They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it! You're ignorant! They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it! You're acting like a child! They're coming for you! Look! There comes one of them now! Welcome to Feed vs. the Living Dead, the podcast where your host, Feed the Terrible Aussie Jemine, explores the remakes, re-edits, reimaginings, homages, and unofficial follow-ups to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead. This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. This podcast contains coarse language, mature discussions, and plot spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. G'day everyone, this is B. Jemine, aka The Terrible Aussie, and welcome to episode 25 of Bead vs. The Living Dead, the podcast where I dissect every remake, re-edit, reimagining, homage, spoof, unofficial follow-up, and so much more to George A. Romero's classic 1968 horror film, Night of the Living Dead across all media. Now before we get into today's episode, I just want to make a quick apology for the lateness of this episode just by one week. Uh, a lot of stuff has been going on over the last few weeks, so uh, in terms of my personal life, so I've decided to push this episode back a little bit when it was originally supposed to be posted. So apologies for that. Plus, after recording so many podcasts throughout October, in honor of Night of the Living Dead's 55th anniversary, I kind of needed just a little bit of a break so I could just uh, have a bit of a rest after recording so many great episodes for that. But we are back. It's almost the end of the year. We have so many shows to do before the year is out. And we've also hit a milestone because this is our 25th episode of the show, so I'm very excited that I'm already up to 25 episodes of this little niche show of mine. And for this one, however, I am not alone because I am joined by a guest who's making his return after appearing on multiple episodes (laughs) of the podcast throughout the past year. And he's also back after appearing on episode 23, in which we talked about Return of the Living Dead Part 2. And that, of course, is my good friend, Marcus Wilturner. Hello, Marcus, and welcome back to the show. Do I hear seven? Thank you so much for bringing me back one more time to your awesome podcast, Beauty <laughs> Boy. I am ready and willing and able to get this going. Thank you again for having me on one more time. We're, you know, I, you know, before this is over, I'm going to be on here 20 times. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. If you're not, and also if you get part, get at least 10 appearances on the show, Marcus, you get a free coffee out of it. <laughs> well, 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 see, now, I, now I got something else to shoe for. I, I want that coffee. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I think it is seven appearances. You've been on the show so far. It could be eight. I'm not exactly sure. I should have looked back over the podcast list just to <laughs> clarify. But I know it's at least one of those two numbers you've been on the on the show. 
I just, I, you know what? I just keep coming back. You keep having me on. I don't know what's wrong with you, man. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> indeed, indeed. What is wrong with me? Because, I mean, for most of the episodes you have appeared on, I have subjected you to <laughs> a lot of uh, variations of Night of the Living Dead to, of various quality. And I don't think this episode is going to be any different at all. So, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, for this episode of the show... We're going to be talking about the little scene fourth and fifth films in the Return of the Living Dead series, which of course are Return of the Living Dead Necropolis and Return of the Living Dead Rave to the Grave. Grave to the Grave and Necropolis. Uh, yes, we, uh, we're definitely going to be diving into these very um, distinct sequels. So... It <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Now, originally I thought about doing these as two separate episodes, but since both these films were actually shot back to back and had the same cast and crew, I think it only makes sense that we put them together because because they're essentially, even though, yes, they are the fourth and fifth entries of the Return of the Living Dead franchise, they're basically just two parts of a story. A very loose story, but we'll get into that as we go throughout this episode. <laughs> but uh, Marcus, now I have to admit, it's before we go into talking about uh, the first one for this episode, Necropolis. Now I have to admit, before this episode, I have never seen either of these two films. I've always knew of them because I remember back in the mid two thousands, uh, the Sci Fi Channel uh, aired them as part of their original lineup. And so throughout the years, I I've always been curious of them but I've never seen them until now before this episode. But for you, Marcus, it has been interesting because you've only just started watching the Return of the Living Dead films for the first time over the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I did not know about any of these. Like, I like I knew about the original Return of the you know, Living Dead um, because, you know, of course, that one's so iconic and classic and all that good stuff. So I've heard about that one consistently over the years, as well as it being like referenced and talked about and analyzed. But I, as far as its sequels, did not know about any of them until now. So this has definitely been a special treat and a half. Indeed, indeed. So we might as well get straight to it and talk about the first of, of these final two films in the Return of the Living Dead series. So let's get to it and talk about the first one, which of course is the Return of the Living Dead Necropolis from 2005. On July 3rd, 1984, an army canister was breached and released a deadly compound known as Trioxin upon Louisville, Kentucky. What followed was a night of carnage that left thousands dead. You're sure they're here? They're here, my friend. But a better place to keep them safe. The American government has nothing to do with this transaction. How many do you want for your personal use? All of them. Now, the dead Great. have returned. Great. And this time, you gotta see this. It's a new generation. What the hell is this place? It's a nursery. Bioweapon section. We're gonna phase out our human subjects and replace them with this cloning program. They're back from the grave oh my God. and ready to party 
again. Return of the Living Dead, Necropolis. The situation is now under control, and there is no threat to the surrounding community. Look for it on DVD. Uh, directed by, and if I butchered your name, please forgive me, uh, Ellery LKM, written by William Butler and Aaron Strongoni. And this film stars Amy Lynn Chadwick, Corey Hardwick, John Keefe, Jenna Kramer, and Peter Coyote. And the plot summary for this film, which I am reading off IMDb, is a group of teenagers in an attempt to rescue their friend from an evil corporation end up inadvertently releasing a horde of bloodthirsty zombies. Now, as I stated before, uh, both this film and the next one we're going to be talking about, Rave to the Grave, were, of course, produced for the Sci-Fi Channel, and they are the fourth and fifth final entries in the Return of the Living Dead series. So by the time both these films had been released, it had already been 12 years since the last entry in the franchise, which, of course, was the Return of the Living Dead free so like i said before i had this is my first time watching both these films for the podcast the previous three entries i have seen multiple times throughout the years so i was very curious to sit down to watch to see these films for myself to see are they worthy additions to the franchise or are they not before i get into my further thoughts on this fourth film uh marcus your thoughts on return of the living dead necropolis well uh, as far as a made-for-TV film goes, it's actually not that bad. I mean, we've we've certainly gone through a plethora of truly awful made-for-TV movies, non-premium channel ones, of course. Um, but you know, uh, we can count on maybe one or two hands the amount of really good ones. And I don't know, like this may not be very good in some areas, but it actually is fairly decent in others. And as far as it being like a worthy addition to the franchise, I would have to say yes with a but or mm-hmm. no with a eh. So we'll uh, we'll definitely get into the ins and outs of it. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So I guess for my thoughts on this film, I, I think one of the things why I was very interested to finally check out both these films, not just for the sake of this episode, since it's all on Night of the Living Dead and all the different variations and follow-ups to it, is I know that throughout the last 18 years, since both this one and Rave to the Grave were released, had developed quite a bit of infamy between the two of them. And some people have actually uh, considered them the low points of this franchise. So I was very curious to sit down and watch this film, especially because uh, the film's director, Ellery LKM, and again, if I butchered your name, please forgive me. So previously, before directing both these films, he directed the 2022 big-budget, giant, killer-insect film, uh, Eight-Legged Freaks. So I was a big fan of that film i thought it was a lot of fun silly but fun so i was kind of curious to see how we would do with this franchise and i could definitely see what you mean marcus with this film in a lot of ways but i guess at the same time it's definitely not a good film at all i would definitely say it is a bad film but it definitely has some little qualities throughout that do make it 
watchable and also quite fun in that sort of so bad it's enjoyable kind of way. Like, there's definitely things that are wrong with this film. Like, the acting is kind of all over the place. Uh, it is obviously very cheap looking, and <laughs> which doesn't surprise me at all that this was both this and part five were made for the sci fi channel back in the mid 2000s. So, it definitely has a very cheap look to it. And also, there's a lot of sort of uh, logic gaps, inconsistencies, and and all that throughout the film. Yeah, and also this, it can get very, very dumb at times mm. as well. But like I said, when it comes to the zombie stuff itself, that is probably where its strongest suit is because the sort of the zombie action that we see throughout the film is quite fun and very silly, but cheesy, but still enjoyable. And also, like the actual special effects from the zombie makeup and to the gore, is actually pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And and also there are a couple of like performances that are actually pretty decent, while there are definitely others, on the other hand, that are definitely questionable, Ooh. and we'll get into that very soon. <laughs> yes, <we will. laughs> but um, I guess we'll get straight to it and start talking about this film by recapping the plot. So like I said, this film takes place about 12 years after the events of Return of the Living Dead Free, although it says here in my information that it's technically set 10 years after the events of the film. But since this film came out in 2005, we'll just, we'll let that slide. And pretty much the film begins where we're introduced to a government official named Charles Garrison, played by Peter Coyote, who is traveling to Chernobyl, Ukraine. Yes, that Chernobyl, to pick up uh, the last remaining canisters of Trioxin-5, which is kind of a different departure from the previous films because as we know the trioxin in the other films was known as 245 trioxin however in this one it's just known as trioxin 5 so he is shown around by a couple of gangsters who tell him where the chemicals are at chernobyl and once they discover them uh one of the gangsters actually touches some of the ooze that is leaking out of it uh becomes a zombie attacks one of the other gangsters and then Peter Coyote manages to kill both of them. But before we actually go any further, I almost forgot to say this. Uh, the film actually begins in a very interesting way because it actually opens up with almost like this kind of ad for this corporation that uh, Charles Garrison works for called Hypertech. And it kind of reminds me a little bit as like the Umbrella Corporation because not only is this a corporation that deals with waste disposal and chemicals, they also deal with like creating food and snacks. So it's basically, this is a company that has its fingers in every aspect of life. But another interesting thing about this opening scene before we actually go to the Chernobyl is that it actually confirms that there have been zombie attacks in between the years of this film and also Return of Living Dead Free and Hypertech was the company that was at managed to dispose of them. So this is a world where everyone knows that zombies are real, they existed, and but they were taken care of. Now we move forward after the, the scene at Chernobyl, back to the US, where we're introduced to the character, uh, the character of Julian, played by John Keith, and also his younger brother, Jake, who is also known as Pyro. And we discovered that both of them 
are actually the nephews of Charles. And also we learned that the reason why they're with their uncle Charles is that earlier, a few years earlier, both Julian and Pyro's parents were killed in a car accident. We actually do get a dream sequence that Julian has of his parents getting killed in the car wreck. And this is kind of a bizarre little scene because we see the bodies of Julian's parents and then all of a sudden for a quick flash, we actually see like their faces <laughs> become almost skull-like. And then from there, we kind of introduce kind of the the relationship between Julian and Charles. And we can definitely see that they don't have the best of relationships. However, then we uh, follow Julian as he goes to high school. And then we're introduced to all of his friends, Cody, Becky, Carlos, Zeke, and Darren, and as well as his potential love interest, Katie. And we kind of get to a sense of all these characters and their friendships together. And they're also a wide variety of different friends as well. So this is pretty much our first setup to the story of this film. So, uh, Marcus, your thoughts on the first part of this film? Well, uh, definitely the commercial at the beginning was pretty funny. As you, you know, I mm. definitely agree it uh, has that umbrella kind of uh, Amazon feel to it, <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, complete with uh, with bad puns and, and soulless commercialism and even bad effects and even a bad saying like, oh, is it um, uh, a chemical solutions for the entire planet? You know, so it uh, <laughs> definitely like set that world a little bit, you know, on on track as to kind of where we are, especially with the with the zombies. Um, mm -hmm. As far as like the everything happens in Chernobyl, honestly, any horror film that has like a scene or takes place in Chernobyl is is kind of going to be bad you know i'm I'm thinking mm -hmm. about uh like chernobyl diaries another yep. you know awful <laughs> chernobyl horror film so i mean we start off with well when we see our first zombie you know it doesn't even completely look like a zombie it looks like a mob say hey you know i want some brains over here you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> but taking a piece out of that uh, that guy was actually pretty good and uh, yeah, Peter Coyote is his introduction. Like, I swear, this man, he has like this smarmy, indifferent, evil, smug smile. Like, it, it's mm -hmm. it's weird and it's terrifying and it's hilarious all in like one token. Like, yes. even with him just being on screen, being weird is like, <laughs> like putting this film on the map. <laughs> so it's like... <laughs> You know, it's funny seeing him as far as like our teenagers go, you know, they're your they're your typical teenagers complete with obnoxiousness and and a bad backstory. And and it, there's even there's even one of them named Mimi Romero. I did say so, that. I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just like, OK, you know, I, I get the reference. I get the angst of it all. But, you know, uh, so far. Peter Coyote is where it's at, so. Yeah, I, Peter Coyote is interesting to me throughout this film. I don't know if it's a good performance or a bad performance or maybe both because it's very obvious that he's just there for the money with this, <laughs> with this film and the next one. One of the things that struck me about his performance in this film in particular is his facial expressions. His facial expressions 
every time we see them are hilarious to me, and particularly in the scene when he's at home with Julian and Pyro, he's reading his paper, and Julian asks, like, you know, since Hypertech, the company he works for, is sponsoring this upcoming monster truck rally event, he asks, oh, can they? he put in a good word for he and uh, and his friend to get tickets for it? And then when <laughs> the look on Peter Coyote's face after when he says that, is like me after watching both these films back to back. <laughs> and it was the it, most hilarious facial expression I had seen in any film as of late. Yeah, like that 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 his expressions, like that first one, you say after watching this movie, I say I, that's my expression every single time I've watched an Uwe Bowl film. <laughs> you know, like it just, it just brought me right back to all to those times I subjected myself to those monstrosities. So it, it's it's hilarious, like to to see him. He's almost like it's funny because it seems like he's so cartoonish, but mm. also it fits this in some weird way, mm. like. <laughs> Like he, like I said, I think it's this is definitely a paycheck role for him being in mm. this film and this and the next one. But at the same time, though, it seemed to me, even though, like, yes, it's not a good performance, but he knows exactly what type of film he is in and is just playing it very cartoonishly. Like he's not mm. over over the top, but he just plays it so exaggerated with the facial expressions and everything. Like. Peter Coyote is a good actor. Like he, I've seen him in a lot of films and TV shows where he's graded, but mm. <laughs> I don't know what it is about his performance in this film. It's just a very bizarre performance. I mean, he's all, I mean, he's not like mustache twirly evil, but mm. he's like a, he's like a few shades below that to where it's like every time he has a look on his face, he's just like has to remind you that he's evil. Like, yes <laughs> exactly exactly but i think it is an interesting opening because you know like you say we get the commercial for hypertech which again like i said before has a lot of shades of the umbrella corporation and i i don't think that was a coincidence i think that was definitely kind of at least some kind of homage to mm. that one of the things that what's interesting about this film is like some of the behind the scenes stuff like uh, both this and Rave to the Grave were actually shot in Romania. So when you, when I was watching this film, minor characters or even like uh, the extras, it's very obvious like it's European actors pretending to be Americans. Like the main cast oh, are definitely yeah. Americans, but it's just like minor characters and extras in the backgrounds of the scene are like at the high school are very much obviously you know, European actors playing these roles. And I also noticed between this and the next film, not to get ahead of myself, is that it's very obvious that some characters were even dubbed over as well. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Like, it, it's such a huge contrast because you'll have, like, an American actor go, like, oh, look over there. And then you'll have, like, someone clearly European, you know, clearly heavily accented, go, yes, you can look over there, you know, it, it's, it's, it's such a, <laughs> and, and at, and at times you're just like, okay, this has to be intentional. Like mm. it, 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 it's way too like thick for it not to be <laughs> in some way. So, <laughs> but, but I also feel like as funny as, as that is, I, I, I also think that also kind of adds to the, to the movie too. 
Like mm. it like it gives it a very like odd foreign flavor in, in a way. Mm. Like yeah. maybe even a, a somewhat of a, a, a of a charm to it. Because like I said, it's such a contrast between like both, you know, American actors and you know, uh European, you know, foreign actors and the the dubbing. Yes. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> I'm reminded of um oh my god I'm probably getting the name Rem- remember Arnold's first movie uh, yes oh uh, yeah. uh Hercules in New York yes yeah Hercules and I'm tired of the same old faces like it reminds me so much of that <laughs> and that was so hilarious in its own right you know so I, I again I still feel like it, it it's distracting it's 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 weird but it's also kind of fits you know. <laughs> definitely definitely and i also was kind of stunned like again this film was shot in romania and the opening scene in chernobyl was actually shot in chernobyl are you serious i am very serious it was the opening scene was actually shot in chernobyl like a mixture of them going around the city and getting all the shots there but also I mean, I'm assuming, like, just to make sure that they don't get any radiation, they probably shot yeah. the scene where they find the canisters at a different location. But, yeah, they actually went to that location and shot a lot of uh, B-roll and uh, quick scenes there for the film. Yeah, that is that is not smart. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But even then, like, you got introduced to all these friends groups. I mean, the friend group of Julian. And uh, I guess for me, like, we get at least a, like, how each of these characters are defined, except for maybe the character of Darren, who I did even, I keep forgetting he was actually in this movie until he was actually killed later on in the film. But all the other characters are at least kind of the stick. Like, for me, I guess the one that kind of stands out the most is the character of um, Becky, played by Amy Lynn Chadwick, because it's that obvious kind of mid-2000s, like, she's a nerdy girl, but she's still very attractive. But she definitely brings a spark to her performance that I did find enjoyable. And also, uh, Jana Kramer, who plays uh, Katie, I thought she was actually quite good in the film as well. And also, I, it, and also in tone with the previous entries in the series, it does have, like, this first half definitely kind of has a very similar vibe to, say, to some of the previous entries, because not just in terms of the zombies, because the once again, these zombies do eat brains, although I find it a bit odd that the zombies basically just bite somebody's head, just get one chunk, and that's it. They don't eat the rest of the brain. <laughs> but, you know, I digress. <laughs> but also, you know, they do talk, they do run, depending on on their situation, but also, like, kind of similar to Return of the Living Dead Free, this is a case where, like, in the first film, that it ta- that it's very hard to kill the zombies. But in this version, uh, like some of the previous entries, the zombies are, are able to be taken out pretty quick just with a simple shot to the head, which uh, Charles does to uh, the two uh, Russian gangsters at the beginning of the film when they become zombies. Yeah, I mean, these zombies kind of do a little bit of everything. Like uh, at mm. some point, I, I almost expect them to do some taxes. Like they, yeah. they, they run around <laughs> and they they talk and they they look surprised. They look like famished. Like they they do a little bit of everything. It's also kind of funny because it, 
I will say in that regard, it does remind me of the original because those zombies kind of did a little bit of everything. Mm. And, you know, only this one, ironically, it looked a bit more polished, if if that makes sense. Mm. (laughs) You know, they weren't really, I mean, they were still zombies and everything, but they weren't like ultra disgusting or ultra like, you know, ravenous. They were just very one-tracked, even with everything else that they were doing. It was interesting seeing them kind of do a lot of these different things. And you're right. One chunk out of the back of the head, and that that's all they needed, you know? <laughs> so it's, Yes. You know, it was, it was funny kind of seeing them kind of do all these different things. Same thing with, with you know, the, the characters. I mean, you said that you liked Katie and, and Becky. Um, yeah, I have to agree. I liked I liked Becky, even though she was a little bit of a masochist for me. I mean, come on, she how do you run into four different cars on your bicycle? You know? <laughs> and, I thought that and, was uh pretty funny that she basically went her introduction is basically like like she's riding on a bike, she sees Julia, she waves to Julia, and then she in comedy film style, she just goes smack into a car. <laughs> Yeah, and he's like, "How? Like, damn! How how many is that?" He's like, "She's like four this month or something." And I'm like, <laughs> okay, either, "Either you need to stop being so distracted, or you need better glasses, because you, you <laughs> running into stuff." And Katie was Katie was okay. I thought she was fine. I liked Cody because he was the <laughs> the resident. Like they kept calling him like the nerd of the group, even <laughs> though he did not act like one whatsoever. Oh, you no. know, he was <laughs> he was just the one they like went to when it came to like the hacking stuff and the, you know, the yep. scientific stuff. And, you know, so I definitely liked, you know, that interpretation. I will admit I really got a kick out of Zeke because he was just so bad as far yeah. as like <laughs> his line deliveries and lead follow or get out of the way you know like <laughs> exactly exactly and also and also and i gotta say i have to say this during the scene where um julian leaves the classroom after when the teacher kind of brings up his parents without knowing that they have actually died katie goes after him zeke follows him because zeke and katie used to date but they're they're broken up and zeke kind of s- suspects that katie and julian are into each other when zeke comes out to talk to them both he's wearing like this really weird bizarre motley crew (laughs) shirt what was that (laughs) it was it it was like and i'm and i'm sitting there thinking to myself like yeah this movie like is very mid-2000s in terms of fashion and how it's made and everything and i'm thinking like were we really weirdly dressed at that point point in the decade it was just bizarre i mean i don't know about you bd but uh, back back then god i hate saying back then but it's true back then yeah my my fashion sense was not all that great so i don't know maybe <laughs> in some weird way the reason why we're, we're just like wait what it's because yeah we kind of did used to dress like that back then. <laughs> so it's, like, <laughs> it's like a blast from the past but it's also like a bad blast. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. But uh, from here, though, uh, we go to Hypertech where we see Charles doing using the containers to experiment 
on different body parts and he manages to reanimate a severed arm which you know continues kind of the trend from the previous films that if the gas from of the trioxid gets on any part of a dead body whether it's a head or an arm or a leg it can still reanimate and come alive so with so it does continue that for this film and then he eventually uses the trioxin on an actual full blown body and i like the fact that the uh the the dead body that he uses in this like little glass casing has a mohawk and i think in a way that's kind of meant to be like a reference to the very first return of the living dead of which the characters in that film were punks as well so mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that was pretty cool to see that however though while he's like reanimating this dead body uh the rest of the trioxin seeps through a pipe and goes down stairs into the basement and then we're introduced to two homeless guys who are down there uh cooking this very large rat over a fire (laughs) (laughs) and then there's a little uh little crack in the pipe and the trioxin comes out and sort of seeps everywhere and one of the homeless guys goes to sleep and the other homeless guy tries to wake him up to let him know that the that the rat that they're cooking is almost finished uh, but the rat comes back alive bites the homeless person that homeless person freaks out and he goes to the other one to tell him that they need to get out of here but he discovers that his friend has now turned into a zombie and then he gets attacked and killed then from here we follow uh julian and his friends and we find out that they're also uh motocross bikers and they like to do jumps and everything like that and ride around and zeke who as you kind of already established before zeke is a bit of a a dick throughout this whole film um (laughs) and i don't know why anyone would want to be friends with zeke all the gang are there including uh julian's brother pyro who's kind of like the unofficial member of the group and i also and for those out there wondering why his name's pyro is the kid when we're introduced to him earlier in the film he's actually making a flamethrower <laughs> so which will come back into play later on in the film so basically uh zeke eggs julian on to do a jump julian tries to do it but given like it has been recently been the anniversary of his parents death he, he there's a lot on his mind at the moment so he's unable to do it so zeke decides to do jump but then he falls off his bike and hurts himself so the ambulance come and take him away julian goes to the hospital meets a nurse to find out where where zeke is and so the nurse calls a doctor out and the doctor tells him that uh unfortunately zeke has died and i love the fact that um this, again, throughout this film and also in the next one, it doesn't hide the fact that a lot of the actors in this film are very obviously European actors because both <laughs> the nurse and the doctor have, so they do have accents, even though this movie is meant to be set in America. So I found that part kind of hilarious. I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but it's interesting to me, like, Again, with this film and the next one, like which actors are like using their actual real accents and which ones are obviously dubbed over as well. So it's kind of interesting in that regard. So Julian rings up Katie to let him know that Zeke is dead. But Katie, who actually works as a secu- for security at Hypertech, 
Now, I don't know how a high school student works as a security guard <laughs> mm. at a big major company, but she tells uh, Julian that, no, uh, Zeke is alive, and the ambulance actually brought Zeke to Hypertech. And then we discovered that Zeke is now locked up in a cell. Finding this very suspicious, Julian and the gang get together and they decide to find out what's going on. Cody uses his hacking skills, because, you know, that's what everyone was doing in the 2000s, um, mm. <laughs> to go into Hypertech's computer to find out information about what's going on. And then we discovered that Zeke and many other patients ha are part of a experiment called Necropolis, and they find Zeke is on the list. So the gang decides to get together and go and break him out. So that's this part of the film. And uh, Marcus, your thoughts on this section of Return of the Living Dead Necropolis. Okay, three things. First off, you know, you said one of the odd things about this is the fact that, you know, clearly Romania setting, clearly European actors and actresses, and it, you know, it becomes even more obvious as the film goes on, like how many of them are involved. I swear at one point I was waiting for them to go, hey, we're moose and squirrel. You know, I was waiting for one of them to say something like that. And then <laughs> another thing about this franchise is this franchise hates homeless people. Okay. It kind of does, actually. <laughs> as soon as I saw those two homeless gentlemen, I was like, oh, please don't let them end up. And, and like before I even said the words, they get obliterated just like poor uh, Basil Wallace in Return of the Living Dead Part Three. You know, I, like I swear that that movie hated that guy because he gets obliterated multiple times by thugs, zombies, and scientists, and <laughs> <laughs> simply for being homeless and a decent fellow. And here we have these two random <laughs> homeless men who get completely decimated by not only each other, but the giant rat they're cooking. So I'm exactly. like, okay, this franchise hates homeless people. Well, that's the thing. That's part of this franchise, and that stretches all the way back to the first film, because when uh, Leanna Quigley's character of Trash turns into a zombie, the first person she kills is a homeless person. Yeah, like, what is going <laughs> but yeah definitely that and then also gotta love how I'm, i swear these kids can do it all they 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 can they can hack like government facilities they can ride dirt bikes all to you know crappy 90s probably probably 90s but also 2000s like music even though one of those songs i actually did recognize uh <laughs> Well, yeah, well, one of the songs during, um, as they're getting together and getting all their equipment and everything together, including Cody using nunchucks, like, where did that yeah. come from? Yeah, and even, like, um, Cody actually creating ID cards, like, mm. putting his picture on an ID card, even though it still obviously still says Katie's name on the card. <laughs> I don't know who that's fooling anyone. And the ironic thing is, they never end up barely using those cards at all in the rest of the movie. <laughs> no, but, they don't. But uh, but I know what you mean, though, because as this scene is happening, this kind of in this montage, uh, the song I Stand Alone by Godsmack plays. Godsmack. 
Yep. I I instantly recognized it because I was, oh, well, that takes me back. (laughs) (laughs) Good times. I was, you know, when, when that song first came out, I was definitely, you know, you know, infiltrating, you know, government buildings using nunchucks and my hacking skills, too. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh, from here, so the gang get everything together. So they get on their bikes and decide to take uh, a tunnel to the underground section of Hypertech. And once they're in there, one of them, I believe it's Carlos. Carlos is, and he's the one out of the group who has brought a gun. Uh, he mm. accidentally crashes his bike. And then they discover the two zombie homeless guys. They get attacked and they fend them off. But Carlos ends up shooting both of them in the head. And as all this is going on, uh, Katie up in the security room is, you know, working on the security cameras so that she can pause them so that the gang can go through without being detected. And she's also there with a another security guard named Hector. And Hector is, (laughs) he's a very useless security guard because basically most of the time he's playing solitaire on his computer. So once she sort of gets everything all together, Katie just tells him, oh, I'm just going on my break. So she goes off and then Hector kind of watches her walk away and then looks at her ass and basically just says, oh, nice pooper. And I'm like, what the fuck? Pooper. I was like, first of all, yeah. That pooper was not very wasn't that nice. And second of all, pooper. <laughs> yeah, I mean, literally, you could have used anything else other than that, and that just sounded more disgusting. It I mean, really Grunt, did. He is disgusting, but still, yeah. But then it like, gets, really? <laughs> <laughs> but then it gets worse from here because uh, as Hector's going back to work, uh, Baby rocks up being all seductive and she's there to kind of uh distract Hector and while the gang are getting inside the building as well so <laughs> yeah it's interesting to me how Mr. Pooper is perfectly fine being seduced by a high schooler yes and I was gonna say like um dude this girl is obviously a high school a high school student. Uh, this is illegal. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how old Hector is, but still, but that's beside the point. <laughs> yeah, it, it really but, is, and I'm just, and he's just like, oh, okay, cool, leaves with her. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And we never do find out what exactly they did together because after they both leave, they were gone for like a significant time before they both. Exactly, exactly. And uh, we'll get back to them very soon. But uh, Katie comes back into the office and she directs the gang where to go to get inside the building. And they go to a couple of air ducts and they discover that one of the air ducts is already open, but it's not the one that they need to go through. So they close that one up and open up the other one to go through there. And as they're going through the air ducts, Carlos spots someone running around uh, the air ducks and shoots Adam, but then we discovered that it's actually Pyro, and Pyro is actually snuck in earlier to join the gang and help them. Of course, Julian isn't happy about this, but he reluctantly gets Pyro to uh, join them, and then they get out of the air duck and they find the weapons room, and there's like weapons everywhere. So good thing that they did find that in there. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, they go into one of the labs, and that's where they have a run in with Charles. 
And Julian confronts Charles about Zeke and the Necropolis program. And he wants to know where Zeke is. And so they go downstairs to the cells. And and so they go down the stairs and they keep hearing moans and groans. And they discover that there are zombies down there. And again, the characters, uh, this is a world where the characters know that zombies are real. And that's a very important thing we have that everyone who's listening right now needs to know because we're going to be talking about this again in the next film but for different reasons they find zeke's cell and i find it interesting that the cells that the zombies are in like they're just held up by the flimsiest of wire fencing that anyone could easily break off (laughs) (laughs) but they do find zeke and zeke wants to get out of there so carlos (laughs) shoots the the lockout, which of course uh, sets off an alarm. Katie tries her best to turn it off. And they go into a different room and where Charles explains to him about the zombies and what the, he's doing with the with uh, the trioxin and his plans for them. And of course, like we find out the real reasons why Hypertech have all these zombies. Charles pretty much says like... Uh, well, domination at one point. That's another reason why he's doing <laughs> all of this. But then also we discovered there's also like zombie babies in, con- in like big glass containers. And But apparently they're actually clones as well. So what is going on is a little confusing. But then we get a shocking revelation. <laughs> we find out that uh, Julian's parents are actually are actually at Hypertech. Their bodies were taken to there to be experimented on. Julian, understandably, is very upset by this. So he and the gang decide to go. So they lock up Charles in the lab. Carlos again shoots (laughs) the password paddle. Again, (laughs) just after when Katie, like, stops the alarm. Katie tries to fix it, but it doesn't work. But then something happens and all the zombies come out of their cells. This is the part where uh, one of the members of the gang, Darren, who, again, like, I forgot this character even existed in this friend group because he's he's the one member who's basically just there. Like, I even forgot, mm-hmm. I was even watching the film and I had to watch this film twice in prep for this episode. And I'm like, like, was he always there? Because I don't remember him being there. He was just, like, there all of a sudden. Yeah. When it comes to the friend group, there's a lot of, you know, quite a few inconsistencies there, but they mostly have to do with him. So I I also love, I'm sorry, I have to say this. How yep. did Pyro get there? Yes. How did he get there? Yeah, and also how did he get in without uh, Katie's help? Or how did Katie yeah. not even know that he was actually there because i mean like i'm assuming like since she was looking at all the security footage of that she would have seen him breaking into mm-hmm. the building he, he, he what is he did he teleport in is he a ninja because they had to basically ride their little dirt bikes for a while to get to the get to the building then they had to sneak in through the through the ducks that she unlocked or whatever and the kid was already in there <laughs> so it's like and when they catch and what i love about it is when they when they see him they're just like oh pyro okay and that's it like they didn't ask him how he got here they didn't ask him how he got this far they didn't ask him 
any question. <laughs> it was like Julia was just like, "Oh, make sure you stay behind me if there's trouble." Honestly, you guys should be behind him because he's clearly like ahead of the level. <laughs> you guys are catching up. <laughs> you know, it, it wild. And and I loved the and you were right when they go and see the go through the halls and those zombies are on each side. It like could have easily easily gotten out if they wanted to. I did like how those zombies looked. Though. I really did. They they mm. looked like legitimate you know zombies, not just people with too much makeup on. You know, finding Zeke again, dude still can't deliver a line to save his life. Yes, and yes. <laughs> the 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 mutant cloning children lab. You know, very like alien resurrection, only much, much mm. worse. And I was thinking the exact <laughs> same thing, alien resurrection. <laughs> yeah, you know, and <laughs> and you were right about you're right about Darren. I, I like he he was not with them when they first got in there. He was just magically there all of a sudden. I guess he teleported in. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't even recall him even being when they were like huddled around Cody's computer to read up the information on Necropolis. I don't even remember. See, that is how much of a nothing character he is. Is like I have for- don't even remember if he was in any scenes or not until he died on screen. <laughs> no, and, and you're right. When they were around the computer, it was it was Julian, Cody, Carlos um becky and uh katie i think yeah yeah and katie he was not there i know it's weird it is very weird i don't don't know i guess they needed uh, (laughs) maybe but i I, maybe he was they should have just put a red shirt on him because basically that was all his character was (laughs) he was a red shirt in this movie he really was i i agree like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh, also like in the same uh during when the zombies are breaking out and attacking the gang after when darren is killed uh zeke gets bitten by a zombie and then of course the mm-hmm. gang make a break for it they go to the weapons room and decide to take a lot of guns so they can fight off the zombies so katie uh rings up one of the other guards What's up with all the guards in this film being so pervy to Katie? Because this one's even more so than uh, than Hector when he's like talking to her on the phone. He's basically like, "Yeah, what are you wearing?" <laughs> and I'm paraphrasing, but and, it's basically they, along the like same lines as that. And and again, these are high school girls. Like mm. what? <laughs> what? And these are clearly these other security guards are clearly adults. So yes, it's like they're so ob- weird. They're obviously forty-year-old men. <laughs> mm. And also, what? You know, is, why? Is, why is a high school student working as security guard at this company for? It kind of reminds me a bit of like how Emma Stone's character in uh, the Amazing Spider-Man was a high school student who worked at this. You know, worked at you know Oscorp. Yeah. Oscorp, yeah. <laughs> that that yeah that that was all. but but see the funny thing about that is like weirdly and and you know don't your 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 listeners don't quote me too much of this they'll come at me with pitchforks but it it, it it's kind of like since that takes place in like a comic book you know world it, it as odd as it is like stuff like that happens a lot more often you know mm. 
it, it, but but something like this, where it's where as crazy as it is, it's supposed to be a little bit more grounded in reality. Like, yeah. it, it, well, I don't even know why the hell I'm saying that, considering anything that happens in this movie. But actually, you know what? Yeah, let's just switch it up. This takes place in the comic book world. <laughs> <laughs> let's let, let's just say that because then everything kind of is in the realm of possibility. You know high school students working in big corporations and high school students being able to like use automatic weapons, have martial arts skills, sneak into buildings, teleport, uh, use nunchucks. Just, just able to pretty much do everything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> with, with, with the, with, with the power of friendship. <laughs> with the power of friendship. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, as uh, Katie is talking to the guards, uh, they get attacked by zombies and are killed. And there's also a bit of a reference to the first film because Katie's on the other end of the phone, like wondering what's going on. And one of the zombies picks up the phone and says, send more security guards. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, Katie looks at the uh, security footage and she sees that the zombies are basically overtaken the entire uh, building and they're and they managed to get everywhere these zombies are already outside they're in different parts of the building and um and as all this is going on the the gang decide to go through the air ducts again to make an escape but a zombie smashes through one of the air ducts and then at a certain point uh cody carlos and julian fall out of the air duct into a room and they kill the zombie but the others like a decide to go on ahead and make an escape. So Julian tells uh, Cody and Carlos that he's going to go look for his parents. So the three of them decide to go do that. Zeke, Pyro, and Becky, they make it to a car park. They, But as all this is going on, uh, Zeke is getting more and more sicker. So he's slowly turning into a zombie. And at one point... Um, zig zombie bite starts to pulsate and i and i will say this even though i have many many issues with this film and the next one one i will definitely say is a positive is like again the special effects and the makeup and the gore in both these films is pretty solid particularly when we do see characters like wounds pulsate uh as they start Mm -hmm. slowly turning into zombies so i thought that was a pretty cool effect here So they break into a little section of the car park that has all the keys. So they grab a random key. They go try to find a car to get out. And they manage to, but then all of a sudden, the zombies surround them. And I don't know how on earth they didn't see (laughs) these zombies, because it's not like they're that hard to notice them. And uh, they all Mm. get into the car. Uh, They try to get away. One of the zombies gets in the back, tries to attack Pyro. Becky's gun isn't working, so she ends up uh, telling Pyro this is going to hurt, so she pulls out a stun gun, (laughs) zaps Pyro, and in turn, zaps the zombie, and the zombie dies, and I thought, okay, this is silly, but I will admit this is kind of funny, this moment, so, um, (laughs) so they get the, they manage to get the car going, and they drive off. And as all this is going on, of course, uh, Zeke is now becoming a zombie. And uh, <laughs> and then he tries to attack Becky. And then, all, then during the scuffle, uh, the car crashes. 
<laughs> and then we go back to um Julian, Cody, and Carlos. They go into a different section of the building where the guards that were attacked earlier were, and they get attacked by zombies, but they manage to do like shoot a whole bunch of them and do martial arts on them as well. <laughs> See, this is the thing though, like this film, like it's not a good movie at all. But it, I kind of have to respect it for being as ridiculous as it is. Um, <laughs> I mean, and then, it, it's strange, like how much it it it's strange how much it actually does kind of work within its own like ridiculous guidelines. You know? Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they manage to get rid of some of the zombies. So they get to an elevator. Uh, Julian and Cody go inside, and as Carlos is about to get in, he gets snuck. A zombie sneaks up upon him kills him so cody and julian go upstairs they find uh julian's parents and these and both of them are obviously dead but they're decked out in almost like as weapons so his dad's got machine guns for hands his mum has like a chainsaw mm. and other things as well and i thought that was kind of an interesting thing it kind of in a way kind of continues what happened in uh, part three, where uh, the character of Lieutenant Sinclair, played by Sarah Douglas, wanted to use the zombies and create them for weapons as well. So in a way, this is kind of an extension of that kind of plot thread into this film. And of course, uh, Julian obviously gets very upset. And then, uh, so they leave. And then uh, Uncle Charles comes back. And uh, I like how Peter Coyote basically literally sneaks into into the lab where the parents are. But it's like that cartoon kind of sneak where he's like almost on his tippy toes going towards uh, yeah. the containers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like I said, Peter Coyote obviously knew exactly what type of film he was in and he was just, just playing it up. And uh, so he uses the trioxid to uh, reanimate julian's parents then we go back to katie she finds hector and, and mimi and obviously something has happened in the time that they were gone because they're, they're putting their clothes on back very quickly uh and obviously like whatever happened is seems to all work for them because they're practically a couple now even though there's obviously a massive <laughs> age difference between them and so they make a break for it, but unfortunately and sadly, uh, Hector and Mimi get attacked by zombies and are killed. So Katie goes on ahead. Julian and Cody manage to get outside and they see zombies are everywhere and they actually do run into Mimi and Hector. And Julian is uh, is hesitant to shoot Mimi because he basically says like to Cody, I... I I can't do it. Mimi is my friend that I lost my virginity to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Cody's like, everyone knows your first time sucks. Just split her head open, damn it. And, uh, <laughs> and as all this is happening, uh, Katie comes around a corner in a Humvee, runs over both Mimi and Hector. Cody and Julian get into the Humvee and they drive off. And then we go back to Pyro and Becky and they're down like trying to take out a whole bunch of zombies. Becky's, like, shooting a whole bunch of them while Pyro is using his flamethrower to... Flamethrower, yeah. <laughs> ...to fend them off. And then Zeke comes out of nowhere, tries to attack Becky, and what happens next is actually, I found quite surprising, is that 
Pyro tries to say Becky and Zeke actually bites and kills Pyro, which I thought was actually a pretty bold move for this movie. So in a way, I kind of got to respect the film for, you know, killing a kid. Becky manages to grab uh, the flamethrower and, of course, uses it on Zeke. So he's like all lit up. And I like basically when Zeke is now a zombie, he's like full talkative zombie and he just is playing it so over the top. Julian and the others come in the um, Humvee and they find Becky. And of course, Julian sees that Pyro is now dead. And of course, he's upset, but they tell him we got to get out of here. So the four friends get into the car and drive off. And we're getting closer towards the end of the film. But so far, Marcus, what are your thoughts on everything that is happening in this film so far? It's just freaking balls to the walls crazy. I mean, we got... Freaking all these different types of zombies running around. We have physics being obliterated and smoking a blunt. We have all these kids and teenagers doing all these like uh, uh, things that are probably not probably very much so like beyond their capabilities. I commend them for killing Pyro because I was like, okay, 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 good, 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 you know, because. You know, when you think about it, again, made for TV movie, normally nothing happens to the kids. You know, that was interesting to see. Um, I had to laugh at uh, Julian's parents because they look like Borgs. (laughs) They kind of do, actually. (laughs) Again, I I was expecting them to go resistance is futile something because as soon as I saw them, I was like, oh, man. If Gene Roddenberry was still alive, <laughs> you know, I just kept, I just kept calling them uh, uh, Zomborgs. <laughs> exactly, exactly what they look like, and um, yeah, you were definitely right about uh, about uh, Coyote because he just comes in and out of this movie just to remind everybody he's evil just to unleash stuff and then creepy grin then he sleeks into the darkness or should i say the blue darkness because this entire building is blue like blue 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 da boo da boo da so um but yeah just complete like insanity and again it, it's it, I, I i'm digging it because as as crazy and inconsistent and odd as this is, you really do kind of get into it, even within the parameters of this particular story and this world. You know, it does work. And I do, I will say, I do commend everyone because it does seem like everybody is definitely kind of, you know, doing their thing, putting in their all to this, even though, even Coyote, as you said, he's like collecting a check, but he's making sure he's like, Hey, I'm evil in case I wasn't clear, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so again, you really you you really just kind of get into it. Very, you know, very interesting. Mm, indeed, indeed, indeed. So pretty much as uh, the gang are driving in the Humvee and they try to make their escape, that's when they run ac- across uh, Julian's dad, who is now reanimated and pulls out his machine guns and these are many guns by the way and <laughs> tries to shoot them but uh a hair grenade oh sorry was it oh yeah a hair grenade is thrown at him and uh 
Julian's dad is killed pretty immediately. And I thought, oh, okay, this is, that was quick and underwhelming. Because um, <laughs> they, yeah, the, one of the characters throws a hand grenade. I'm like, okay, we're, they're going to be, it's going to be a Ted seed. He's going to shoot at them. And it's like, oh, yeah, that, that that's it. Well, okay, he's he was taken out pretty quickly. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know that's what all this. Thinking? What's that? I was thinking, oh no, you done blowed up my zombie dad, you bastards. And that's what man, that's what I thought as soon as that happened. <laughs> yes. But uh the gagger out the gagger outside the car, and then of course uh Julian's mum comes along and she attacks uh Cody and Becky. But while this is going on, uh Zeke arrives and he has a fight with Julian because he basically just accuses Julian of trying to steal his ex-girlfriend. And all that. So they have a bit of a punch up. And then, of course, uh, uh, Julia's mom tries to buzzsaw Cody to death, but Becky distracts her. And and then once she turns around, she tries to kill Becky, but Becky jumps out of the way and she ends up being electrocuted by a power grid, which again kind of makes a reference to uh, how the zombies are taken out in Return of the Living Dead Part 2. And then um, mm. Julian and Zeke are still fighting. Zeke pushes Julian down to the ground. And uh, Julian grabs a grenade, takes the clip off, puts the grenade in, in Zeke, and then uh, Zeke gets blown up. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the SWAT team arrives, finally, and uh, mm. to kill the remaining zombies. So the gang go over to the SWAT team so they can be rescued. And However, Julian's dad is not quite dead as we first fought, so he uses his still-working arm to shoot at the kids and as well as the SWAT team, but the <laughs> the SWAT team's tank manages to blow him up, and uh, <laughs> everything seems all right. But then we find out that uh, Katie has been shot and killed. Like yeah, poor Julia goes. Yeah, well, I I have to give this film credit, and I guess now on further reflection, I might have to even bump up my score just a tad <laughs> for this movie because. This movie kind of like does subvert ex expectations in terms of which characters live or die because like Julia goes through a lot of this movie because like he finds out that his parents who he fought were dead are been used as weapons by Hypertech and he had to watch them die all over again and um, that his brother is killed, that his potential love interest is killed and and of course, he's he finds out his uncle is like this evil mastermind. So Julian kind of goes through a lot through this film, and you do feel sorry for him when Katie is dead. But there's actually an actual a real reason why uh, that Katie was killed off in this film because uh, Jada Kramer was actually meant to come back for the fifth film to reprise her role, but halfway during filming, she got sick and she couldn't continue filming. So so they decided to kill off her character so and then have another actress come in and play a whole different character in the sequel oh okay well that definitely explains that then because i yeah. think that was kind of odd that she dies like so close at, at the end and again mm. as you said it it it, it sub definitely subverts expectations puts even more like trauma in julian's lap because he yep. pretty much has it all at this point so, okay. Yeah, that was definitely a nice little bow on top of his, like, depression sandwich. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
And uh, so from there, it's the next morning and the SWAT team are picking up all the dead zombies, putting them in body bags and putting them in the back of trucks to get rid of them. And then we find Charles is putting the last of the containers in the back of another truck and is making a getaway. And yeah, pretty much from there, uh, the film then transports itself to a news bulletin that, of course, talked about the outbreak that happened. But of course, Hypertech are covering up saying that it wasn't a zombie outbreak, it was something else. So so they can save face. And then, of course, as the news broadcaster goes to a different story, a, a zombie comes out and attacks him mid uh, shooting of the of the news bulletin. And that's when the movie cuts to black. And then we basically, the movie ends with just behind the scenes footage of the making of the film. So, and I thought that was such a weird way to end the film because again, we see our characters, uh, one of the main characters dies and then it kind of just sort of ends. So I wouldn't say ends abruptly, but it kind of wraps itself up so quickly. But uh, Marcus, your thoughts on this final section of the film, but also, since we are now at the end of our discussion on this one in particular, what are your thoughts overall on uh, Return of the Living Dead Necropolis? Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Definitely an abrupt ending. Uh, Seemed like they just kind of went, okay, we're done. But I think it also just kind of has to do with the fact that, as you said, you know, they shot both of these films back to back. So they probably just decided not to have much of a, of an ending with it with that kind of with that kind of closure you know mm-hmm. since they were going to jump right back into it so that's probably one of the main reasons why they did that even though i did i did kind of like the 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 will ferrell norm mcdonald hybrid anchor getting attacked by a zombie at the end that was pretty funny <laughs> um but as far as like the movie all together i mean yeah despite you know extremely you know unrealistic characters insipid dialogue everyone giving well, everyone but mostly everyone giving some bad reads bad performances accents galore but i mean some dumb decisions inconsistency galore i mean th- this this movie is barely decent you know we we have quite a few things going for like a lot of solid effects you know hel- hilarious slash evil you know showings from like coyote and of course, you can really get into a lot of the like the accents, you know, because you can have a lot of fun with that. You know, it doesn't look half bad, you know, for a made for TV movie. And, you know, of course, you know, as usual, you can't really touch, you know, the original or even the seriousness of like part three. But it still loads better than part two. I know you have great memories of part two, not knocking out whatsoever, but this is definitely better than that one. And it, it, it works in all the wrong places and works in quite a few of the right ones, though maybe not that much. But I, I can't say I, I can't say I didn't enjoy it because I did. As you said, you know, it does subvert quite a bit of expectations. At some points you knew where it was going to go, but then you didn't. You know, it, it, it so it definitely has that going forward. It's 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 equal parts like pedantic, but also bold in a way and so it's i can definitely see this being a guilty pleasure well i won't go as far as saying that this is better than uh part two um (laughs) for for me personally it's quite lower than that one because you know i think part two like even though it's not a 
entirely 100% successful film, but at least it's a bit more competently made than this one. But that being said, though, uh, even though Return of the Living Dead Necropolis is a bad film, but there are some cheesy elements to it that I did find fun. Like I said, I think it's the stuff with the zombies that are definitely the best aspects of the film with mm-hmm. the with the makeup, the gore, and the effects, and also just the action sequences in this last half in particular. But that being said, though, it's not a particularly well-made film. Like, and I find it interesting that um, Ellery Elkayam, and again, if I have butchered your name, please okay. forgive me, having, you know, directed a big budget horror comedy prior to this one with Eight-Legged Freaks, this one's definitely not as well-made as that one, in particular, and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's kind, of, and I don't know whether it's because it's um of its low budget or its script, but like at the same time though, you can definitely tell those elements that made Eight Legged Freaks are definitely in this mm-hmm. film, in particularly with the stuff with the zombies and how they interact with our main characters, because those elements I do think are actually enjoyable in a so bad it's good way. The performances, like I said, they kind of range from being decent to being pretty bad. And uh, and you can obviously tell that the low budget nature of this film definitely very is hinders a lot of aspects of it. And uh, of course, mm. being a coyote is like giving a performance that's a, a mixture of mustache twirling. And also, I'm re- can I just get my check and just leave already (laughs) but the film is worth it just to see his facial expressions throughout this film but um like i said it's not a good movie at all compared to the next film we're going to be talking about next uh this one at least has some elements of it that at least make it uh watchable um (laughs) so we might as well get straight to it and uh, talk about the fifth and final film in the Return of the Living Dead series, which, of course, is the 2005 film Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave. Four times before, you've experienced the horror. What's in there? The last of the missing Trioxin-5 canisters. But I hope it's not more trouble. Four times before, you've seen the chaos. This is the original canister. You guys gotta see this. Somebody open the canister. There's some kind of goo everywhere. And four times before, you've heard the call. Brains! Now, the dead have returned. Brains! For the biggest party of them all. The Rage to the Somebody drops some Z, they become a zombie, no matter what. Maybe the kids haven't dropped any of the pills yet. They're back from the grave. And ready to rave. Get down! Return of the Living Dead. Rave to the grave. You guys ready for Halloween? No one's gonna forget. Look for it on DVD. which, of course, once again, was directed by Ellery Elkayam, written by William Butler and Aaron Strongoni. And once again, this film stars Amy Lynn Chadwick, Corey Hardwick, John Keefe, 
and Peter Coyote, and as well as some new cast members, including Jenny Molin. And the plot summary for this film, which once again I'm reading off IMDb, is... A college student creates a drug called Z and sells it on campus, inadvertently resurrecting the living dead who wreck havoc at a Halloween rave. Now, of course, as I stated before, this film was shot back-to-back with Necropolis, made by the same cast and crew, and uh, there's a lot to talk about uh, with Rave to the Grave, but before I get to uh, my thoughts on this movie... uh, Marcus, your thoughts on Return of the Living Dead, Rave to the Grave. I mean, uh, uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think, uh, uh, okay, uh, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, okay, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, um, even not yeah, even even just saying um <laughs> a lot for the last five minutes pretty much sums up everything about this movie <laughs> yeah let, let, let's just let's let, let's just get into this <laughs> yeah indeed indeed um where to start my thoughts on uh <laughs> return of the living dead rave to the grave like, even though I had very low expectations with the previous film, and like I said, I thought, even though, yes, I do, it is a bad film, but, you know, there are at least qualities of it that at least make that one at least reasonably watchable and entertaining on a so bad, it's enjoyable level. Unfortunately, I can't say the same for Rave to the Grave, because... And my big main thing about this film is, even though this film is made by the exact same people who made the previous one, and it is and also the first entry in the series that actually has the characters from the previous film come back for this one, why is it that every character in this film acts as though the events of the previous film never happened? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> don't know like it, it's so weird like it, it, like no, like nothing that ha- happened before takes place in any of their minds julian doesn't even mention his brother i'm trying not to just make noises but <laughs> i can't help yeah. just make noises <laughs> well i guess we might as well go into our recap of this film because <laughs> the, it's the only way to kind of describe uh, how much of an even more of a downgrade uh, this film is compared to not just the first three films of the Furies, but even the last one as well we just talked about. So so basically <laughs> the film begins not long after the events of the previous film where we find uh, Charles. Somehow he's in Europe <laughs> with the containers. <laughs> And then he runs into uh, a group of ga- European gangsters uh, who want to buy the trioxin off him, or at least the last few containers of the trioxin. But before they want to buy uh, the containers, they want to test it out first, which kind of like annoys Charles. So they have someone there at a morgue. So they go there to test the trioxin on a few dead bodies. 
At first, the trioxin doesn't seem to work when it tests on one body, so Charles tries to do it again on a few other bodies, but nothing seems to work at first. But then, of course, the zombies start to come back alive, and they attack some of the gangsters. And, of course, like, this opening scene, like, I thought, okay, like, there's actually some pretty good gore here because we have a really cool scene where a zombie... Uh, has a drill through its head and also there's more head biting scenes and head shots and stuff like that so the gore of this scene is actually pretty solid and uh as all this is going on uh charles gets attacked by a zombie and he ends up getting bitten and dies and then uh the remaining gangsters kill off the uh rest of the zombies and the last two that are still standings are named uh gino and aldo and we find out that these two aren't actually gangsters, they're undercover Interpol agents who are actually looking for the trioxid and realizing that they only have the one container and Charles has more out there. So they decide to head to America to <laughs> find the trioxid. Then we flash forward back to the US. We follow our main characters from the previous film. So Julian, Becky, and Cody are back. And we're also introduced to a couple of new characters. We're introduced to the character of Jenny, who is Julian's girlfriend. And obviously Jenny is the character that Yana Kramer didn't fall sick halfway through filming both these films. She would have just came back and reprised Katie. So Jenny is basically the new character they created to take over her place. And also Artie, who is who is Becky's boyfriend. Although Becky in between movies has taken a bit of a, a character change because she's not really the nerd anymore because she's now more smoking hot in this version. And that is not <laughs> just the last of the character changes we're going to get in this movie. So during a gym class, the coach named Coach Savini. <laughs> I wonder what that's a reference. I wonder what that's a reference to. Uh, informs uh, uh, Julian that his uncle Charles has died and has been murdered. And for some bizarre reason, and I'm asking you this too, Marcus, Julian is very cut up about his uncle being killed. And I'm sitting there thinking like, but Julian, this man... Ha- destroyed your entire family why are you mourning this guy (laughs) so weird so it is (laughs) it is it is and um so the characters now are now in college so so they're now college students now so basically once uh, julian gets the news of what happened to charles he goes back to the house where he charles and pyro were living in and kind of is getting all of Charles's stuff together. And then he ends up finding a secret room and finds the last two containers of trioxid in there. So so he gets Jenny, and they sort of want to know what they are. So they decide to take one of the containers to the college and get uh, Cody to examine it and find out what it is. So this, this is basically our first act of the film and uh marcus (laughs) your thoughts so far on uh this film okay can't say uh mm, uh all right uh (laughs) uh damn it okay i already failed all right uh uh, failed again 
So title sequence, very goosebumps. Music, very dark night, only, you know, not. We get more blue, more blue. This mm-hmm. movie pretty much loses points for getting rid of Peter Coyote because, you know, yeah. it's Peter Coyote. You know, like, I, how are you going to kill him off? <laughs> yeah, well, I was actually surprised that they killed off Peter Coyote so early in the film, like literally within the first five minutes. I thought, oh, okay, so they killed him off. Maybe he might come back later in the movie as a zombie or something like that. Because, you know, this is a series that establishes if you get bitten by a zombie, you come back as one. But you could either be one that is either just going around yelling brains like a lot of the zombies in this film and the previous one did or you could be like zeke who's always talking and all that but spoilers up nope that's it peter coyote is gone and is not in the rest of the film and it's weird because it's like he leaves so since there's it's weird because we don't really get any villains but the mm. funny thing about it is, if you look at the turn at the turn of the events, which we, we we will discuss, I felt like the villains of the story was Julian and Jenny. Mm. <laughs> you know, because we'll we'll get into that later. But first part, um, first act, as you said, solid special effects. We get a lot of you know good gore, good violence, more uh, brain munching. You know, I felt the same way as you about, you know, Julian finding out his his uncle died. Like, why do you care that much? I mean, oh, no, his smug, indifferent, creepy, evil ways. I will miss it. So like what? 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 Why do you what? (laughs) (laughs) Seems like you should be more in mourning for your brother than your uncle. But okay, Um, Yeah. And uh, also. And the thing is, and I find it so bizarre, like the fact that he actually does mourn his uncle, who pretty much, like I said before, destroyed his whole life. His brother Pyro is never mentioned at all in this film. Never. And, (laughs) (laughs) but that is just like one of the many things about this film, because, and we'll talk about this in a second when we go into the rest of the plot, is like, even though, yeah, these are the same characters that have featured in the previous film, they all pretty much have complete personality changes. And it's not like they're the Mm -hmm. same characters at all. And it almost feels like they basically had a different script with completely different characters. And they basically just changed the names of the characters of the surviving ones from the previous film and didn't even bother to make sure that these, their personalities match the characters from the previous film. It's almost as if they, you know, the you know director and writer, everything is almost as if they were kind of assuming that no one would have watched the previous movie mm. and just watched this one by itself. I guess, you know? like, like, I don't know. It, it that's what it felt like. It felt like it felt like they started the story over again. The if anything, the only consistent character was peter coyote uncle charles but they killed him off (laughs) yeah it's weird like actually you know thinking about that that you're totally right because this film almost acts like a standalone film Mm -hmm. like if the characters weren't in the pre from the previous film weren't in this one it could easily have been a standalone film 
and, and I guess maybe that's why they kind of made it that way. So it's like if nobody saw part four, they could have people can go into this one as a standalone with like without having seen part four. So it is a very weird. I don't know if that was a deliberate choice by the filmmakers, but it's a very weird one regardless, though. Mm-hmm. Which is even more weirder because, you know, the same people worked on this film too, who worked on the previous one. So, um, so basically, they go to a party and we're introduced to some more characters. We're introduced to uh, Brett, who's the vegetarian nerd uh, <laughs> of the group. And it's very obviously, <laughs> again, and I looked this up, and this, the actor who plays him is a European actor, and he obviously was dubbed over for sure. And then also we're introduced mm. to um, uh, Skeet, not Zeke, Skeet, who's the uh, the campus drug dealer. And he has an accent, so he's obviously a uh, a European actor. <laughs> and uh, then we also meet Shelby, who is Cody's girlfriend. And then, of course, we meet these two stoner stoners who look too old to be on, to be students at a college <laughs> they were ba- they were basically dazed and confused cheech and chong rejects exactly exactly and then of course like um <laughs> so they go to the party and obviously like this one even tonally feels very different because you know this one even more so feels very mid-2000s compared to the previous one which already felt very mid-2000s this one even more so in terms of its tone because this college party they're at it's like the fashion is is like from that time is so exaggerated and it's very obvious like given that you know this film was shot in Romania the filmmakers dressed all the extras up to make them look as American as possible to the point that it looks more comical than believable and of course Mm. you know you get a lot of TNA in this scene as well because there's a lot of like top topless women so they find Cody and he's parting down. And also even Cody has a personality shift in between uh, this film and the last one, because yeah, he's kind of like the hacker character in this film, but he's also like a nerd who, who wants to be a scientist. And that was never really established in the previous movie. No, <laughs> it, it was not. It I definitely don't know what was. It was. Uh, Maybe, maybe because now we get more boobies, you know, mm. than you can shake a stick at. So that just caused a, a boo, a, a booby ripple effect and just shifted everybody. Cause it, it, <laughs> it, you're right. Like Cody went from hacker to scientist very quickly. Like even, even in the first scene you see him and he's wearing a lab coat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So the gang get together, go to a lab, and they show Cody the the container of trioxide. And this is the thing that I knew this film was going to go downhill from there. It's like, how did you? How do you characters not know that this chemical that you're not sure about is the same stuff that created all the zombies in the previous film? You saw the container in the lab. Uh, <laughs> when mm-hmm. the zombies and, were being and, experimented and, on and for that matter why would you bring it to the campus mm, exactly. that's, why, that's why i say it, it that's why i say in this movie julian and jenna 
are the real villains of this story. Because <laughs> if they would have never brought that canister to the campus, none of this would have happened. You know? <laughs> and, and the funny part is, though, like, they don't, like, it's having dealt with zombies, it's like they don't acknowledge the fact that this is the same kind of chemicals that created the zombies in the previous film. It's like they've, the first time they've mm -hmm. run into this container, and given what happened with Charles in the previous film, that's, even if they didn't know what this canister was, they could have automatically thought, okay, this might have had something to do with the experiments Charles was doing, but it, they, it doesn't even to occur occur with them, but I digress. Yeah, they, so they, let's... They, they, even, they even ask... Like they even say, like I, I don't know if it's Julian or Jenna. I, I, one of them actually say, "Hey, maybe there's money in it." <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it might have been uh, Cody who kind of mentioned that it's because Cody like checks out like what's in the actual chemicals that's in the container, and he discovers that uh, some of the similar compounds are very similar to ecstasy. And uh, also, there is uh, Jenny's brother Jeremy, who's like the college DJ and his outfits throughout this entire film are pretty amazing. Oh um, <laughs> <laughs> like once he hears like, oh, this has very similar things to ecstasy, the, the dumbass like puts his finger in the chemical and dabs it on his tongue. And then he goes into this almost euphoric type of state that like everything slows down and he becomes... This has this zombified look to him. So, and then of course he quickly snaps out of it and it is like, wow, that was like the best high I've ever had. And he kind of describes it, feeling that chemical is like, it's basically like it takes you to the height of ecstasy and to the brink of death. And just when you can't take it anymore, you're back to reality. So pretty much like the gang, like Julian on the other hand, feels like they need to go to the authorities about this. But Cody and Jeremy are like, oh, we can make money out of this if we turn it into drugs and sell it on campus. But Julian's like, don't you do that, guys. You better leave that canister alone. <laughs> and Jeremy is like, we, don't worry, we won't do anything. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> so while all this is happening, Aldo and Gino, the Interpol agents that we saw earlier in the film, they come to uh, Charles's house. They look around to see if they can find the remaining canisters of trioxid. They manage to find one container, but they notice that another one is missing. So they basically continue going on the hunt for that one. And then, of course, uh, Jeremy and Cody, without a moment of hesitation at all, they basically decide to turn the trioxid into, <laughs> into drugs, put them in pill form, give him the skeet so he can sell them across campus so they can get rich. And of course we see like a montage of the, the scenes. And then of course we see some of the students taking the pills as well. And then eventually uh, Julian and Jenny, they're walking through the campus one day and they see one of the students has this zombified look on his face. So they know what's going on. And so they go to confront Cody and Jeremy about it. So, uh, Marcus, your thoughts so far on this movie? Well, I mean, you forgot you forgot about the best part when um, Jeremy first takes a hit, quote unquote, of the of the chemical is him shaking his head extremely fast like a freaking horror yes. movie. 
Yeah, and it's, it's almost it's... like um, like Jacob's Ladder style, like head shake. That's how mm-hmm. fast it is. Exactly. And like, and I love how Jenny is like, "Are you okay?" When his head is shaking like that. And also, he's, he's like, drooling, he's... and he looks like he wants to eat her face as well. Yeah, but but are you okay? No, Jenna, he is not okay. But again, in keeping with them having this huge personality shift because uh, Cody is so into the idea instantly of 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 making this chemical into a drug to sell on campus to earn money just because it has some psychedelic effects hmm. and it's like wait even even with him being a scientist don't you think that putting something that's in a big dirty barrel into your system would be a bad idea even if you do get a buzz off of it mm. but nope they don't think about that at all they no. they they you know generic 90s-esque rock comes on and then the montage of them selling the drugs on campus which i wanted to ask you it seemed like all of this happened in the same day <laughs> it, it seemed like that and it, it, it probably was too it's like they like i said before it's like they did this without a moments of hesitation nope like and it happened very quickly like they like julian told them no and they were like don't worry we won't and then instantly they have a they make a ton of pills it's they spread it all around campus thanks to skeet and and it happens very quickly like it does it It really does yeah but uh from here though (laughs) <laughs> we uh find skeet uh, at a college dorm where he's t- chatting to free guys and telling and selling them the uh selling them the drugs and he pretty much tells them uh if you listen if you can't trust your drug dealer who can you trust um <laughs> and it's also very obvious like these free i i pretty much call these free guys the free douchebags because that's pretty much what these characters are and it's very obviously again that these free actors are obviously European actors because their dubbing is so obvious when you uh, watch this their scenes throughout the film. And, yeah, like, uh, almost like a badly edited kung fu movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, Skeet pretty much tells them, like, uh, make sure to only take uh, a tablet one at a time. So once he leaves, uh, two of the douchebags pretty much uh, go against what he said and take more than one tablet in one go. So, Moron. but also exactly, and also uh, the drug that they create uh, is called Z, and uh, <laughs> and they do acknowledge that basically <laughs> one of the things about the drug, of course, it puts you almost in a zombified kind of state. So it's weird though. This is like in the previous film, it obviously is set in a world where the whole world knows that zombies exist. There have been outbreaks. Everyone knows what zombies are. But in this film, it's like the characters have never met a zombie before or even read about them in the news or anything. It's like they're oblivious to them. And we'll get to one scene in particular that really kind of uh, showcases that. At first, the douchebags, they don't feel anything from uh, the pills. And then eventually, uh, two of them turn into zombies and they go and chase after their friend. Uh, Jenny and Julian, they go back to Cody's lab and they find that it container is there and it has been used so jenny tells julian he she's gonna take the container to her lab 
because apparently every student has a lab in this movie. Um, <laughs> so she can do oh, tests absolutely. on it. So she can do tests on it herself. And I swear, and I had to look at this just to find out. But I mean, I couldn't find anything that kind of 100% cements this. But I honestly think, Marcus, the college campus, some of the same areas of the college campus are the same areas that were used for the high school. I am convinced. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's definitely like the same location. Yeah, it's like... It, 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 you rec- yeah, you recognize a few of the, the places from the f- previous film. It's it's, <laughs> And even like the grass is so high up and it hasn't been cut. So I kind of, when I saw that, I'm like, this the college campus is the same high school from the previous film. <laughs> At least I had to like even go back and like look at both movies again to kind of just find out and like am am i seeing things is this are this is these the same sets i need to find out and um like I, even i'm still unash- unsure about that but uh to kind of prove my point earlier about everybody seems to be ob- oblivious about zombies uh we see becky she's coming out of her dorm to go meet up with artie so she goes on a date and she sees two of the douchebags who are now zombies uh after like the other guy runs past her and she sees them. She has seen zombies before. She has fought and killed zombies. She doesn't recognize that these two guys are zombies now. I, I mean, maybe they all caught some kind of weird amnesia. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she should have been wearing her glasses. Cause that's probably, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's weird because she's seen zombies before and she acts like she's never seen any of them. So Artie drives up and she is about to get in the car and then one of the douchebag zombies comes up, scratches her, and her and Artie drive off. And the other two zombies, they go after their friend. And then, of course, the drug starts to kick in for him. And, of course, you know, both the douchebag zombies, these are their talkative zombies in this one. So they chase their friend inside the building and he comes across a group of guides who are performing in a band. The zombies come in, they attack the guitarist, and then uh, one of them goes after the drummer, but the drummer manages to stab the zombie in the eye with his drumsticks, which I thought was actually a pretty cool effect. Uh, The friend of the douchebag zombies, uh, he grabs a guitar and decapitates the the other friend. (laughs) I don't know how it's possible. I was like, wait, is that the same guitarist from like Mad Max Fury Road or something? Like, how did how do you do that? <laughs> like that guitar was not even sharp and it somehow cut that zombie's head off. It is very, very weird. Yeah. But that being said, though, the gore in this film is definitely the high point because it seemed like the filmmakers went even more over the top with the gore in this film. And uh, and so it definitely is without a doubt the best part of it. So we find uh, Jenny, Jenny uh, doing tests on the chemical in the container. And then, uh, of course, uh, Brett the vegetarian. Who, that's pretty much the character's only trademark is that he's a vegetarian because he's like wearing shirts about don't eat meat and stuff like that. So to test uh, the chemical. So Jenny like tests it on a bunch of mice. And of course, uh, Brett is not happy about this and tells her not to... Uh, test uh, the trioxin on his favorite mouse, which just happens to be called Mr. Stinky. Oh my god. <laughs> See, this movie, this movie, this, uh, 
anyways, though, um, so we find uh, Artie and Becky, they're out near a river in their car. And then, of course, like, uh, Becky is now turned into a zombie and she yells out brains and she goes to bite Artie on the dick. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not what the brains are, but that's beside the point. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's some, some crazy, lazy metaphor for guys always thinking with their dicks. I, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. But I mean, it could have been a bit more, uh, you know, furrow with that joke. Um, <laughs> so Aldo and G- Gino, the Interpol agents, they rock up on campus and they find the aftermath of the douchebag zombies. So they go yeah. off and uh, they find Julian, knowing that he, of course, is Charles's nephew. And so they talk to him about the containers. And of course, Julian pretends that he doesn't know anything. And then Gino and Aldo then leave. And so... Uh, Jeremy comes along and asks uh, Julian if he can help him set up for the Halloween rave. And of course, the location of the Halloween rave is almost like this kind of like Coliseum. And I'm like looking at the layout. It's like, why would anyone use this place as a rave? Because there's all small pillars everywhere. People are going to get hurt. Or oh. <laughs> it was such a like a weird sight. Uh, Julian, Jeremy, and Cody are putting all the sort of the rave together. Jeremy's coughing, so he's starting to feel a little bit sick, and we know why that is. Uh, they see that Skeet is getting a high from the from the drug Z, and then he has this weird kind of hallucinatory uh, dream where he sees a woman dressed up as the devil, and she's all topless and everything. But then once he comes out of it, he discovers that. Becky and Artie are there and they're now zombies and they try to attack them. And then uh, Julian, Cody and Jeremy intervene and they manage to tie them up. And again, the characters, Julian, Cody, dealt with zombies before. How don't they realize that their friends are now zombies now? They just think, oh, they're just sick. We might have to take them to hospital. I, I don't know. It's it's so like, it's so shabby. Like mm. we, we, we get the, and it's funny because when, when Julian's being interviewed by the Interpol agents, he could have easily just told them that that the chemical was there in the lab. And then again, mm. this all could have been over. But nope, yeah. he doesn't say anything. They leave to go get Krispy Kreme because that's specifically what they said. We're going to go get Krispy Kreme. And then Jenny is, in, is infecting the rats and everything with the chemical, even though her lab assistant, you know, Mr. Vegetarian is telling her not to do it. Again, I'm telling you, these are the villains of this story because (laughs) they are literally spreading this thing all around, not telling anybody that they're doing it. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not Cody and Jeremy's fault for putting it into pill form and selling it. But again, if Jenny and Julian wouldn't have brought the damn thing on campus, none of this would have happened. Exactly. And you're right. You would think in their previous in the previous story, which honestly does not it doesn't take place that far back, they would all remember this, but none of them do. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> so the two stoners who we saw earlier, they offered to take uh, Becky and Artie to the hospital. So they tied them up and put them in the back of the car. And then eventually uh, Artie and Becky break free and they attack the stoners. And then, of course, uh, Gino and Aldo 
find them, and they pull out a bazooka and they blow up their car, the stoner's car. <laughs> Although I will say this, after when they blow up the car, Aldo says bullshit, and uh, Gino says, "I think you mean bullseye." <laughs> <laughs> That was probably one of the most ridiculous but funny things in this entire movie. Indeed, indeed. That see, that was humor that actually worked in terms of like what this film was going for. While all this is going on, we do go back to Jenny and Brett in the lab, and this is a little while later, and we see that they overhear some of the mice scurrying around in their cages, and they go have a look, and in Mister Sticky's cage, they find the mouse running around in its um <laughs> in its wheel and then it bites Brett and then Brett goes uh and cleans his head and then later on when uh Jenny is out of the lab Brett's there alone and he goes to look at the container and then he ra- find and he just randomly presses the buttons that are on the keypad there and then he goes back to wash his head and his wound has now gotten worse and is now pulsating and then as he's like looking at it, it also squirts goo and everything like that. So that was a bit gross. And so he leaves. And even when he was randomly pressing buttons on the on the container, it manages to open it. And then as it's opened up, we're introduced to a character who we haven't seen since the second film in the series. And even though it's not exactly the same character, but it essentially kind of is in a way, and that's the Tar Man zombie. And I gotta say though, the the design of the Tar Man zombie in this film is actually a really cool looking design. But actually, what makes this even better is Alan Trutman, who played the Tar Man zombies in the first two Return of the Living Dead films, actually comes back to play this version of the character as well. Yep, and it definitely looks like they did a really good job with it. Of course, it's, mm. you know, this is a pre, you know, it's a, the, the precursor to this is that freaking hand uh, effect that they had for, you know, for Mr. Vegetarian's uh, mm. <laughs> fucking hand, because that shit was gross, but it was yeah. done so well, especially with the veins pulsating and stuff. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then, of course, we get the return of the the tar, you know, zombie, and and, mm-hmm. and you're right, you know, not the same as you know the last times we saw them, but saw him, but still looks pretty freaking good. So, oh yeah, I'm it's very happy to see him again. Yeah, definitely, definitely, and I like how basically, like in all three films of his appearances, he's had completely different designs. Like it's obviously not the same tar man, but mm-hmm. you know, it's essentially a different version of that type of character and but also it's even cooler that alan trotman has played that character in all three versions as well and has brought something different to all three too and um so after this we find a bunch of hippies in a dorm room (laughs) and um they're sort of going doing some stuff they're sort of doing some sort of spiritual stuff and they're talking about the evils of eating meat and then they see Brett in the doorway and they tell them to uh, come and join them. And I, I had to put this down because two of the of the hippies are named D'Artagnan and Rainbow. And um, <laughs> and then they discover that um, Brett is now a full-blown zombie. And then we go back to Jenny, who goes back to the lab. 
she hears some scuttling around in the lab and she goes over to where Mr. Stinky's little uh, <laughs> little cage is. He's not there anymore and he's broken out. And I love the fact throughout this film as he's trying to find where Mr. Stinky is, she literally calls out, Mr. Stinky, Mr. Stinky. Like, the, that mouse is a dog <laughs> or a cat. <laughs> uh, but anyways, though... Um, but anyways, though, uh, the gang come to the lab as well and they find Jenny and they manage to find Mr. Sticky, who is on a sort of a mannequin of a body and is just hanging around on the head. They think like, oh, yeah, it's got a craving for brains now. But I'm like, oh, well, it, that's just a mannequin like of the human body and, and of a yeah. brain. I'm pretty sure it's it wouldn't have that. Exactly. It's a, <laughs> and then, of course, um. The vegetarian zombies, they uh or the hippie zombies, I should say, they pretty much uh start attacking students throughout the college campus, and a few of them get killed, and Coach Savini gets uh chased by them as well. And then of course uh Cody, uh Jenny, and Julian, they make a run for it, and they too run into a couple of zombies and they fight them off. And then, uh, of course, the zombies attack <laughs> a bunch of cheerleaders. And one of them, again, they call out for brains. But one of them bites one of the cheerleaders on the ass. But, you know, that's beside the point. Um, and then, of course, uh, Gino and Aldo, they rock up. And then they shoot the uh, zombies and kill them. And then there's more martial arts where we go back to uh, Cody, Julian, and Jenny as they're fighting zombies. So they manage to get rid of them. Then the Tar Man zombie rocks up. Gino and Aldo arrive on the scene and they shoot a Tar Man, but the but he manages to disappear. And then I, they of course find out from Cody that uh uh also I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh but earlier, Julian and Jenny, they ask Cody to give them every single uh tablet of Z that he has so they can get rid of it. So he gives them all that, but uh Cody tells them that uh Skate still has more out there so they have to go find skeet so they have to go to the rave to find them because there's still 500 tablets of z out there although they go off to the rave although i have to say and this was a moment that actually legit made me laugh is we see the tar man zombie again he's on the side of the road (laughs) holding a sign that says uh rave or bus and i have to i have to admit (laughs) that did actually make me laugh out loud when i saw that <laughs> Dude, what what made me laugh was the freaking zombies. First of all, w- when the zombies attack the cheerleaders, we get some ni- uh, some huge zoom ins on their asses. Yeah, we and do. The zombie, and then the zombies go straight for the ass and start eating their ass. <laughs> and it's funny though oh because my... again they just keep saying brains brains but i'm pretty sure that's not where the brains are and i love how the freaking agents show up and start sh- shooting the zombies and they miss and hit a few of the cheerleaders and, and they were like and the, even one of them just says oh sorry my bad <laughs> oh, sorry <laughs> but um <laughs> We head to the rave, and it's uh, the Halloween rave, so everyone's all dressed up in costumes, and some of the costumes definitely have not stood the test of time, let's just say that. Um, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And Julian's up in the uh, disco booth, playing the music and everything, but he's getting sicker and sicker 
Somebody comes up there and asks him if he has some more Z that he and his friends can have. So he gives them that. I got to say this, Marcus, I keep forgetting, like, during the 2000s, rave culture was a huge thing around that time, particularly in the mid-2000s, because I even remember that even a lot of horror films uh, during this during the 2000s were either set at raves or whatnot. Even, like, Uwe Boll's, like, House of the Dead had a rave in it as well. <laughs> No, you didn't. Of course you had to mention it. Because, you know, I thought of the same freaking thing when I was watching this, and it made it made my skin crawl. Because I <laughs> was like, like, you do not need to remind me. Yes, you're right about the whole rave culture thing, because there was a lot of films that featured a lot of parties and raves and everything like that. I'm, I'm thinking of, um, I might be wrong, but I'm thinking of uh, Freddy versus Jason. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Just, just a lot of films like that where it was centered around a rave, or someone went to a rave. But yeah, the, this particular setting where the rave was, you know, definitely reminded me of House of the Dead, and I did not mm. like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. Like, I enjoyed during this time going to clubs and stuff like that, and having a good time. I never went to a rave, but. In hindsight, I would have been like, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I've actually been to a few, I've actually been to a few raves in my time. And yeah, let me tell you, it, it's, it's just easier to go to the club because raves yeah. are very, very like obscure and out there and anything can, can, you know, happen. And it, it, and yeah, in in some ways that can be fairly exciting, you know, when you're mm. younger. But in in other ways, it could be very hazardous to your health. So exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Julian and the others and the Interpol agents they arrive at the rave. Julian and the others tell the the agents that they can't go in dressed as they are because everyone will freak out. So basically, uh. The agents uh, steal uh, two girl women's um, Viking outfits and <laughs> dress up as the in those, and uh, and they both look ridiculous in the outfits. So they get there, mm. and uh, Cody goes around looking for his girlfriend Shelby. Jenny goes to find Jeremy, and then of course Julian looks for Jenny, and it gets a little bit more confusing. And then as all this is happening, shit hits the fan. Slowly, all around them, people are turning into zombies after taking Z. And, of course, Jenny goes upstairs to the booth and then finds zombie Jeremy. He tries to attack her, but he goes flying out through the window, crashes at the ground below, and then he goes full-blown zombie. And pretty much, yeah, everyone around them starts becoming zombies and starts attacking. And we even see the two women who were dressed, who the the agents stole the costumes from earlier and they're just wandering around topless and they get attacked and turned into zombies. And then Cody finds Shelby. He tries to get her, he got, he has her attention. And as they're getting close to each other, Cody gets attacked by zombies and Shelby gets attacked by zombies as well. And during one point, as Shelby is being attacked by one of the topless girl zombies, Cody is being attacked. He has a zombie on top of him which is Skeet, now Skeet's a zombie, and pretty much, like, he has the gun, 
So he shoots at the one that's attacking Shelby, but then, of course, Zeke kills Cody. And then, of course, uh, one of the agents rocks up, kills Skeet, and they also uh, do a double tap on uh, on Cody for good measure so he doesn't come back as a zombie as well. Uh, Julian and Jenny fight each other. At this point, Julian pretty much says to Jenny, I've already lost my uncle. I don't want to lose you too. And I'm like, dude! <laughs> Your what uncle about ruined... your brother. Exactly. Your parents. <laughs> that man ruined your life hey. and you're more concerned about him than your other family? Oh, jeez. Oh my so... god. This entire sequence is so wild to me because we, we we get like equal parts like some decent stuff like in the pandemonium, but we also get a lot of stupid things too. Mm. You know? Like, I, I'm sorry, the most unre- unrealistic thing in this movie to me is when Jeremy cr- uh, crashes out of the window and then people stop dancing. Like, cause yep. you're at a rave and people do not pay attention to things like that. They do yeah. not care. Yeah. You know? Well, we got, so, we do, we yeah. do get to see a bit of that because as the zombies are attacking people left to right, some people are just still not even noticing and just still dancing. At least we get a little bit of that. But you're right, mm-hmm. though, at least in the scene with uh, Jeremy falling out of the window yeah it's 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 wild because we get we we get a much a a lot of jumbled up like sequences in this and i'm pretty sure they wanted to kind of showcase the like the chaos of it all Mm. you know yeah but in the same token like even when you're showing chaos there has to be a little bit of a, a of a fine path or consistency to it Mm-hmm. And 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 this was just so all over the place that it it it, it just wasn't working all that much. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about it? Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because um, Ellery Elkayan, and again, if I butchered your name, I apologize. Like, at least with the action set pieces in the previous film, I think at least they were more competently handled and you could tell what was going on. But yeah, I think you're mm-hmm. right in the sense that like he's definitely gonna go for the chaos factor in this scene. Everyone turning into a zombies and attacking everyone at this rave, but it's kind of not handled as well, and it's kind of all over the place. Maybe that was the whole point, having that sort of chaotic feel, but I don't think it's as effective, uh, or is at least as entertaining as it was in the previous film with that stuff. Yeah, I agree. And then, so, uh, Aldo and Gino manage to pull out machine guns and start shooting zombies left and right. And, uh, <laughs> again, we get some more gore. Again, they're shooting zombies left and right, and some people, like, get caught in the crossfires. Although there was a moment with, uh, Cody before, as he's trying to shoot a zombie to protect Shelby, uh, he accidentally shoots somebody as well. It's like, uh, <laughs> it's, like, really funny. So as all this is going on, uh, Gino calls for backup. And then he tells Aldo that the Americans are on their way. They've already dealt with this before. Of course, referencing, you know, the previous times this has happened <laughs> in the previous films. And of course, uh, Julian and Jenny, they run into zombie Jeremy. Uh, Julian tries to shoot him, but he is out of bullets and Jeremy attacks him. And then uh, Jenny ends up shooting Jeremy in the head. And of course, this is, you know, she's hesitant because it's her brother and all. As this is going on, because Shelby, her costume, she's dressed up in a Native American outfit, and all of a sudden, she has an actual real bow and arrow because she's shooting zombies with arrows. (laughs) 
like with with, with fucking green arrow Hawkeye accuracy. Yes. <laughs> I'm and I'm like, you, this takes place in a comic book world. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then, of course, um, <laughs> a helicopter shows up and starts, from, which of course is the army, and they start shooting everyone down below, regardless if they're a zombie or not. And of course, uh, Julian, Jenny, and Shelby they try to hide. Shelby gets killed. Julian and Jenny they knock down a wall at the uh, at the rave, and they go in there. And pretty much the helicopter fires a missile at the rave <laughs> and destroys everything. And then uh and now we're getting towards the end of the film. It's the next morning. Uh Julian and Jenny have survived and they're under a bit of rubble, so they get out of that and they come out and for a missile, like yeah, it left a, a bit of a crater, but it wasn't that big, and there's still bodies everywhere that haven't been burnt up or anything like that from the blast so that was pretty hilarious and, <laughs> yeah, it, seemed and like it, it, it was all just in one spot and everything around it was still perfectly fine so when jenny yeah. and and julian come out of their little cubby hole even mm. that's perfectly intact. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and uh so they run into aldo he survived and uh he, so the three of them go around looking for gino we cut back to the tar man zombie. He's still waiting to hitch a ride to the rave. And then a car slows down. And then once they see him, they just drive off screaming. So and the movie pretty much ends with the tar man zombie just walking down the road uh, by himself, alone, and just yelling out brains. And essentially, that's where the film ends. And um, <laughs> so, Marcus, uh, any further thoughts on this last section of the film? It, it it's 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 just in, it's just insane like we get all this death all this weirdness all the cavalry shows up and it's just the police firing on people and i'm like yeah that's police all right you know it, it's, yeah. it's just so much like insipid craziness and mm. you know freaking what's her name with the bow and arrow like where did that come from uh the agents just pulling out their semi-automatic weapons and yes like uh, again i didn't like that cody died because of course he he saves his girlfriend but then she dies so it's like what was yeah. him dying and yeah. then it, it's, it's it's just so much like we even we even get like a topless girl dancing, but she's on drugs, so she's sped up. So her dancing is all like frantic, and, mm. and she's a crackhead. <laughs> yeah, well, we do get a lot of the uh, the Jacob's Ladder, like we get, I mean, fast shaking heads yeah, we, we get, in this movie. Yeah, we we get a ton of those in, in, in this, and it's equal parts like freaky and also like really just like inane. So mm. I, I don't know. There, there, there's just so much. There's so much stuff in 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 this part of the of the movie that I feel like w should have worked a hell of a lot better than it did, and it just didn't. <laughs> yeah. So I, I I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much like uh, <laughs> a good way to kind of sum up this movie. Is I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I mean, like I'll say this. I know you, again, I know you love Return of the Living Dead Part 2, but I feel like if Return of the Living Dead Part 2 didn't exist, uh, like, these movies 
would, would kind of be a lot worse, you know, mm. even by like made for TV movie standards. I mean, we could kind of like put on one hand, like uh, the amount of made for TV uh, films that are actually really good. Like I'm thinking of maybe like Duel or the original mm. It or Brian Song or Intensity. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I I would say that these films, specifically this one, they're not that bad, but they also really are. Like, it, yeah, this one in particular, everything we've been talking about, I feel like what really like destroys it, and, and not in a fun way, is that it, it it has no continuity from the previous film, even though it's it's straight up supposed to. Even with some of the the, the funny bits and the gags and the callbacks and. And even with the solid effects, you know, in, in, in the same measure, this was just not a very good sequel. And it wasn't a very good standalone film, even though it was treated as such. Mm. It, it, it's just a strange, like, combination of not so good ideas, not so good executions, not so good presentations, and just not so good overall impact. Yeah, I don't know what the hell w- w- happened here. I'm we've been talking about it and laughing about it, but I really have no idea what happened. It, it, like if you're gonna if you're gonna film these two films back to back, they should have been a lot more connected than this. Mm. They should have been a, a lot more just consistent and straightforward as far as like its narrative, its characters, its its moments, its 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 everything. Even if you wanted to go for a, 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 a different tone than the last film, which is understandable if, if they wanted to go that route, there still should have been like all the foundation or all the buildup from the previous film. It should have still mattered in this one. It's it's weird. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry. It's just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess um, I guess we might as well get to our final thoughts on the the film. Uh, Marcus, your final thoughts overall on uh, Return of the Living Dead: Rave to the Grave. I mean, it's as much as I want to get into the fun of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, I, I can't. It, 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 everything about it just falls very flat. Everything about it just seems to just not work. The only thing that does work is the effects is the blood is the guts the the tar uh zombie uh, you know all of that works really well within this film but everything else just doesn't everything that we kind of like talked about in the previous film that we kind of you know got into that was fun they can make it like a guilty pleasure or even a, a semi-solid addition to you know the saga there was absolutely none of that here. It, it was just a complete and utter disconnect, a complete and utter travesty, and a complete and utter misrepresentation of everything that came before. And it doesn't even stand alone by itself as a solid zombie film. It's, I, I hate to say this because I feel like I'm going against what I said when during the last time I was on your amazing show, but this is even worse than part two. <laughs> because at least with part two, that had a goal, that mm. had an idea, 
that had an execution. Yeah, sure. A lot of that didn't work. I feel like I should be screaming right now just to talk about that film. But <laughs> at least it had a vision for what it was. At least the filmmakers had a vision for what they were trying to create. Yeah. This right here seemed to have no vision, no comprehension, no connection, no coherence, no consistency, no just just complete dumbfounded, insipid, inane, uh, just just putrid, futile, ponderous, ponderous like <laughs> story with it, 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 just nothing about it works. And what makes it so odd is that considering how it was made, it really should have. This should have mm. been a great, substantial finale to this saga. Instead, it's just a conf it's just a like a weird like misstep that goes into a stumble, that goes into a fall, that goes into a tumble down a goddamn mountain. It it, it 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 was this was so much worse than part two and i don't even know how the heck that happened i mean how the hell did we get here <laughs> what went wrong <laughs> somebody that is please a... tell me but <laughs> <laughs> that's a question i'm asking myself every single day <laughs> but um i guess for my final thoughts on this film even though the previous film, Necropolis, was bad, but at least it had, like I said, some moments in it that at least made it watchable on a so bad, it's enjoyable level. This one, though, despite having some really cool gore effects, some good makeup design, and also a really cool Tarman zombie, those are the only kind of praise I can really give this film. And I, I, I'm going to say this, Marcus, I'm going to say this, not only is this without a doubt the worst entry in the whole Return of the Living Dead series, I would have to say this is definitely up there as one of the, maybe the very worst film that I've covered for this podcast so far. And it's not just because it's so badly made on every single level. It's one of the most confounding films I've ever talked about for this show. Like I've, covered many different films that have either been remakes or reimaginings of night of the living dead and as well as like movies that have followed on from it in other terms of media or other franchises but this entire film was just so puzzling to me the fact that this movie was made to be a sequel to necropolis made by the same filmmakers has the same cast reprising their roles but the but it feels like a completely different script that was basically must have started off as a standalone and then was like, oh well, instead of like getting a whole new actors to play new characters, why don't we just change the names of some of the characters and make them the same characters from the previous films, even if the characters themselves have complete personality changes. The story doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's very much a product of its time. And I don't mean that in like a bad way because, you know, that type of stuff doesn't bother me. But it's a film that's even more feels like a film from the mid-2000s. It's very juvenile. Mm. 
even more so than the previous one. It is just not funny. It's and the plot is just a complete mess. And like it, it's a movie that feels at least compared to Necropolis feels more slapped together than that one. I, I, I just don't get this movie. This movie just confounds me, Marcus. It really, really does. It, it it's just a terrible movie. It is terrible, terrible <laughs> movie. So <laughs> And what's interesting too, because I'm like reading up more research on this film. What's interesting to me is, and this is going to blow your mind, but this is absolutely true. Marcus, did you realize before Ellery Elkayab was going to direct both these films, Toby Hooper was originally going to direct both? Are you serious? Yep. He was going to direct both part four and five, but he left production very early. And that's when uh, Ellery Elkayam, and again, one, if I butchered your name, please forgive me, took over directorial duties. And that maybe might explain why the film is so, on a filmmaking level, is kind of all over the place. Maybe it's because he was came in at the very last minute and basically took on a production that another filmmaker was going to be doing and then basically had to make the best of what he got with this film, with mm-hmm. both these films. Yeah, but I think it's interesting that Toby Hooper was originally going to direct both these films because all the way back on my episode on the first Return of the Living Dead film, he was originally going to direct the first film as well. So I think that was probably why, like, they went to him to direct both these films because, you know, he was going to do, he was originally meant to do the first one and then he left to go do his free picture deal with Cannon Films. And so I guess they came back to him to see if he wanted to direct both of these films but yeah like it but he left the uh, very early in pre-production but also not only that uh william butler who co-wrote this film he has connections to this very podcast because william butler actually played the role of tom in the 1990 remake of night of the living dead oh wow and not only that marcus not only that now this podcast has its own spin-off show Bean and Steve versus Camp Crystal Lake, which is the podcast that sort of examines the entire Friday the 13th franchise. He also was in a Friday the 13th film because he played the role of Michael in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood. And not only that, (laughs) he has been in a franchise, he's been in multiple horror franchises, but he has been in uh, Leatherface, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, and he was also in two episodes of uh, Freddy's Nightmare. So he's one of the only actors who's been in a Jason, Freddy, and Liverface film. Oh, wow. But not only that, Marcus. Not only that. (laughs) I'm about to blow even more people's minds out. Uh, He was in Ghoulies 2 as well. Um, (laughs) And as a filmmaker, he co-wrote The Ginger Dead Man. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And also, it's two sequels, and he also, like, uh, actually, he's more involved now with, like, Full Moon Films, because he's been working on a lot of their projects, as either as a director or as a writer, because he's worked on, like, some of the Baby Oopsie films, he's even worked on some of the uh, Demonic Toy films as well, as a director or writer, so... His filmography is insane. And not only that, he's also 
done voices for two separate series of the Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> well, he has really gone around. <laughs> he definitely has. He definitely has. But uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that could be a wrap on how uh, uh, discussion on both uh, Return of the Living Dead Necropolis and Return of the Living Dead Rave to the Grave. And uh, I hope you all out there listening to this episode had a great time with this one. And once again, Marcus, thank you so much for coming back on the show and uh, being subjected to these two films with me. (laughs) Oh, it was my pleasure, Beatty. It's always a great time to come on here and and talk about these movies with you, or in my case, rant and rave like a madman. So thank you so much for, you know, having me, and thank you so much for me coming back, as you know I am. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you'll be back very soon in a few episodes. Time! But, uh... <laughs> so I look forward to that, but uh, before we wrap up this episode, uh, Marcus, where can people find you on the internet this week? Well, you can find me on Facebook and uh, Letterboxd, uh, Marcus Will Turner, and you can find me on uh, X or Twitter and uh, Instagram at uh, 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 Ego Critic Demise. And of course, you can find me on here because, uh, you know, I, I keep coming back. And yes. uh, of course, you can find me on um on the Super Network with you, B, the terrible Aussie, and Miss Super Marcy herself. Indeed. Indeed. And um, <laughs> and definitely everyone go listen to those episodes, particularly the episode you guested on recently, which was uh, the Podcasters of Horror episode, which we talked about both Trick or Treat and Tales of Halloween. So that was a very fun episode. And uh, absolutely. Definitely. And uh, for me personally, you can find me at my Twitter page at twitter.com slash beadjamine, or you can also find me on Blue Sky under beadjamine as well, and you can find me at letterboxd at beadjamine. You can also find all my work over at supermarcy.com with all my reviews, columns, and as well as all the podcasts that I co-host with Supermarcy. But in terms of all things Bede versus the Living Dead, and as well as the spin-off podcast Bede and Steve versus Camp Crystal Lake, you can find both those shows on you can find both those shows on Twitter and Blue Sky under Bede vs TLD. You can also find the official Facebook page for the podcast at just under Bede versus the Living Dead. You can listen to both podcasts everywhere on all podcast streaming services via the Bede versus the Living Dead podcast feed. So if you have been enjoying everything that you've been hearing so far, definitely leave a rating and review. And if you do leave a review, I will read it on the show. So yeah, that is the end for this episode of Bead vs. the Living Dead. I hope you all enjoyed it. And keep a lookout in two weeks' time for episode 26, in which I go into homage territory of Night of the Living Dead by talking about the 1988 indie horror film Flesh Eater that was written, directed, and co-starring Bill Hinsman, who played the cemetery zombie in the original Night of the Living Dead. So stay tuned for that one, everyone, and I'll see you all next time. See everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beat vs. the Living Dead. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your podcast player of choice. 
keep up on all updates of the show on the official Twitter account at FeedVSTLD. The music for this show was brought to you by Denno. See you next time, everyone. Goodbye.